This is episode seven of Ambassadors of Joy, Doors Slamming Open with Michael and Janet Mendonca. Welcome to Ambassadors of Joy, where we bridge the narratives between spirituality and business. Today, we have very special guests with us, Michael and Janet. And we are so excited because we're going to be talking about how to deploy capital for service. And this is a topic that has come up so many times in my life, in Priya's lives. And we're so excited to just dive in. Yeah, and even though we just started recording, we've already had a lot of amazing conversation in the studio. <laughs> so this is going to be just an excellent episode. And as usual, we begin every episode by setting an intention for our audience, just so we can kind of take a few moments to center ourselves around an inspirational thought before we dive into our episode. And our very special guest today brought an intention with them. Would one of you love to share it with us? Yes, Janet and I discussed this because I think we have a whole host of things that we could have used. But the one that sort of sticks out for us as being so significant is that very often we just take a step back in silence and acknowledge how grateful we are for the lives that we have. And that we recognize that not everyone is quite as fortunate as many of us, but we have to be grateful for every moment and every day that we have. That is beautiful. So let's take a few moments to meditate on that. Amy will sound the chimes. That is just a beautiful intention, Michael and Janet. You are absolutely right. We oftentimes are so busy with our external lives that we rarely take a moment and pause and reflect how blessed we are to be able to wake up every day. Just the action of breathing is a blessing in itself. So thank you so much for reminding us to be grateful. You know, I just thought about that during my drive here to the studio because I remembered where I first encountered Michael and Janet. And it was during a Rotary lunch. I'm a member of my local Rotary club, and we serve others through our time. And Michael and Janet were there presenting their organization, Ellen 4 which is what we'll talk about a bit today. And today during the drive, I was just thinking about how cool it was. Just last year, I watched them talk about their organizations and all of the wonderful things that they do. And today, I'm driving to the studio where they are here as special guests on our podcast. It was such an amazing feeling. <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here. You're very welcome. The pleasure is ours. <laughs> You're very kind. Amy, let's dive in. So today's episode, as we mentioned in the title, is about basically that bridge that our podcast stands for, this bridge between success and business and service and then spirituality and kind of how all of these parts of our lives can come together to really uplift humanity. And Michael and Janet are such beautiful examples of that. And their organization is a living, breathing example of how all of these things come together every day to uplift others. So that's why we are so excited to have them here today. 
So digging into the service paradigm a little bit, in our first episode, Oprah and a New Earth, we mentioned her Stanford commencement speech from 2008, I believe, right, Yes, that's right. That's the commencement speech that she gave at my graduation. Mm -hmm. It is. (laughs) Yeah. And that speech had such an inspirational impact on both Amy and me. And one of the things she touched on during that speech was this idea of the service paradigm. And always thinking about what you do, especially professionally, as operating from the service paradigm. And, you know, when we watched the commencement speech, we kind of realized as well that that's how our alma mater, Stanford University, was created. Because Jane and Leland Stanford, in memory of their son, who they lost to sickness at a very young age, created that university for other children, for their education. So this is concept of giving back in order to grow yourself is so important to us and to everybody around us. And I know that LN4 has similar roots. So I would love to kind of take a moment to hear from Michael and Janet from you about LN4, what it is and what its origin is. So LN4 was invented by a man named Ernie Meadows. And Ernie and his wife Marge had a daughter who was at UC Santa Barbara that was killed in an automobile accident. And upon reading a book from Queen Noor of Jordan, Ernie learned about all of the amputees in developing countries where landmines had been present. And so he set out to design this prosthetic hand that could be made inexpensively and available for mass distribution, but he wasn't quite sure how to take it to the next step. And so he named the project LN4 after his daughter Ellen, because he and his wife couldn't bear seeing her name on things, you know, the name Ellen, so they Mm. came up with just LN. And the four for the hand is, it's the fourth project they've done in her name, but they have never been willing to share, or or I should say, they've just kept private what projects one, two, and three are. So we have the privilege of being able to be part of the LN4 project. And so the hand uh, that he invented is very amazing. It's mechanical and it holds things very well. But it had a problem, and the problem that it had was it was made out of hard plastic, and hard plastic didn't hold on or grip things very easily. So he needed to put some soft plastic on the inside of the digit so they would hold something. So one day he was at the store, and he saw one of the toothbrushes that were there that had the little rubber bumps on the toothbrush. And being the kind of guy that Ernie is and older, he's kind of an Einstein-looking guy. (laughs) He called a toothbrush manufacturer, and he said, how do I put these rubber bumps on the inside of my fingers for my prosthetic hand? And that toothbrush company sent him to my company. Wow. I owned, at the time, a plastics company. And Ernie came to our office, and my business partner and I saw that Ernie walked in and had this toothbrush in his hand. And he said, I want to talk to the guys that own this place. And we said, that's us. (laughs) And he showed us the toothbrush. And so the toothbrush was the one that had the rubber bumps on it. And our company actually developed that technology for the toothbrush company, which is how he got in touch with us. That is so amazing. 
So then he showed us the hand, and I also, Priya, being a Rotarian, I've been a Rotarian for a long time, said, this is a perfect Rotary project. And we showed the hand to my Rotary Club and to the youth group at our church. And five or six months later, my wife and I had a half a dozen prototype hands, and we were on a plane to Vietnam to try them out. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay, there's just so many things already (laughs) (laughs) to unpack within that. Before we do that, just a quick few facts about LN4. So this prosthetic hand has now been distributed in 80 countries and over 40,000 LN hands have been distributed internationally. And the design for this hand is actually represented in the Smithsonian. So we are talking about something that is very large scale, very impactful, and very cool. And Michael and Janet, (laughs) this is just amazing. How long ago was this when he stepped into your office with the toothbrush up until now? What's the time frame that we're talking about? 2005. Wow. That is amazing. So it's been over a decade that you guys have been doing this, and now it's in the Smithsonian Museum. That's incredible. So, Michael, I would love to hear a little bit more about Ernie. He sounds like a super, you know, interesting, motivated individual. And, you know, both both of you knew, know him. Is, is, he, wait, is he still involved with Ellen Ford? Uh, Ernie is still alive. Okay. Uh, he's in his 90s. He lost wow. his wife about two years ago, and he has stepped back uh, from the from the hand project at this point in time. So mm. you and Janet are carrying on his legacy for Ellen Four. It sounds like absolutely, and with lots of help. With lots, that's exactly what I was going to say, Janet. Yes, with lo- <laughs> lots of people playing huge roles in the project. So I wanted to ask a little bit about Ernie and his wife, obviously grieving over the loss of their daughter. How did they convert that grief into the four projects that they created? Ernie's actually a very private person, so there are more things that he did not share with us than the number of things that he did share with us. And so I think that the loss of his daughter, he also has a son who is still alive, but I think that the loss of his daughter caused him to withdraw And he's a very intelligent person. He was an industrial designer. And so I think that there was an artistic side of him as well. So I think where people do art and things like that, it's sort of a form of therapy. And I think for him, designing the elements of the hand and all the little intricacies and components with it, is about 37 pieces to the hand, little tiny pins and screws and springs and things like that. I think that allowed him to just really spend some time focusing on that. Okay. I love that. I just want to jump in there and say that Ernie was really using the power of creation, I feel like, to transcend some of his grief and really channel that energy into something amazingly positive for the world. Therapeutic for himself, but also it looks like it's definitely therapeutic for the world. I think that's a very profound statement, Amy. Amy, I think that should be our first inspired action. Yes, that could be, yes, inspired by Ernie's story. This is amazing. Yeah, I think so many times, I mean, it's inevitable as humans that we will find ourselves in situations where, you know, we might be distraught or something hasn't gone right, or maybe it's a severe loss that we faced. 
and this just tapping into the power of creation and understanding how to channel that situation and the energy that you have from that situation into uplifting others can be so amazing. Yes, I love that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your background. What are your stories? What were you doing? You told us a little bit, but what were you doing before Ellen 4? I think one of the interesting elements to this is that Janet and I have met about 38 years ago. You want to just say how we met, Janet? We participated in an annual event. It was a race where people made rafts or boats out of milk cartons that were glued together. Ooh, so wow. there were six people on this raft. And how personal do I get? <laughs> He's like, don't tell any more of the story. <laughs> and sparks I, I begged to be allowed on this raft. <laughs> She flirted with me a yeah, lot. It was, I, yes, as soon as I saw him walk through the door, I said, oh my gosh, he's adorable. But, um, but we found throughout the day that we had a lot of shared interests and values, and it just went on from there. Including helping people. Even at that point, we had that shared value. Janet comes from the medical industry, and my goal was to be the national director of the YMCA in the USA. <gasps> And we both knew that it was never our intention to make a lot of money or to be rich, but to have fulfilling lives by helping people and being part of service. One of the first crazy things we did together as a couple was host 100 kids overnight on New Year's at the YMCA. I forgot about that. That was was not a very bright thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) It was like it could get crazy. It was. It was very crazy. And so even in our vows, we stated that the other person was going to be a good father or a good mother, Mm -hmm. and we didn't have any children. And we tried like crazy, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) it was not meant to be. And all of our friends said, oh, you should adopt. And our family said, you should adopt. And we said, God bless the people that do, but it's not for us. It's not our design. And we didn't know what it was that we were supposed to be doing. And so throughout our lives, we actually, I think, got trained and prepared through various connections and various jobs to be able to run the Prosthetic Hand Project. That is amazing. It's not an accident. How have you both connected the dots backward to realize what your purpose was? And when and how did this happen? Janet has been much more stable in her career than I. Mm. (laughs) She's been in her profession for... I was in 40 years. For 40 years. She recently Uh. is retired. And I have changed career professions and including, in fact, in Rotary, we have these things called classifications. Uh And my classification has changed eight (laughs) times in 35 years. I love it. That might be similar to me and Amy in Uh, some ways. There you go. (laughs) We're ever evolving. I support every bit of it. (laughs) Change is good. Yes. Change is good, but you also need stability. So yeah. I and think somebody earning a, you know, and someone being able to yeah pay support. for the macaroni, <laughs> pay macaroni, for the macaroni and cheese. And cheese. <laughs> we used to buy macaroni and cheese for nineteen cents a box. Oh my gosh! <laughs> we were very but all of the professions that I was involved with, everything from corporate things, I was in corporate America for mm-hmm. quite a few years, and Citicorp and Charles Schwab, and then I broke out on my own. I realized I was going to be wealthy and dead at 40 working for corporate America, and I decided I was not okay with that. 
And then I went out on my own and got involved in a couple of businesses and ran a couple of them into the ground and sold a couple of them. Wow. And then a friend of mine eventually came to me and asked me to be part of a plastics company, which is then how I got introduced into the hand project, of Uh course. But all these skills that I had had gained through these other companies and these other even volunteer work actually prepared me for everything from managing volunteers to managing a board to managing a budget to fundraising and also the whole aspect of quality and manufacturing. Don't think for a moment the hand is a simple process. It is a series of about 11 different vendors making components that have tolerances down to a thousandth of an inch that need to be correct in order for the hand to function properly. Throughout this journey, how did you stay positive and stay inspired? Because we have a number of people in our audience who are probably identified with this concept of you know, not wanting to be in corporate America and just running themselves into death at the age of 40 <laughs> to make a couple bucks. We all kind of understand how much of a rocky road it can be until you eventually understand what it is that you're meant to do and put two and two together. So for you, Michael, how did you stay inspired and positive? And what were kind of the tools and like the mental tools that you pulled from during that road? More times than I can imagine, the way I stayed positive was through Janet. That is the sweetest thing ever. (laughs) Very sweet, yes. There were so many times when you feel like you're up against a wall that you can't get through or you can't get over. And because of the relationship that Janet and I have, I would come to her and I would tell her exactly what was going on. Sometimes it took me a while to do that because as a probably a typical guy, you know, want to just kind of keep stuff, I can figure it out myself. And that wasn't the case. So I would bring it to Janet and Many times, Janet, not necessarily always giving advice, but sometimes giving advice, but always just listening and being supportive. And on every trip that we've been on for the hand project, Mm -hmm. including our trip today here, Uh we've done together. Wow. So I have never gone to one of the countries by myself. I've never done any big assembly events by myself. Every single time, it's been Janet and I together. Wow. And I'm just looking at both of you in the studio right now as we talk and kind of seeing that special bond that both of you share. And I could feel that energy here in New York. (laughs) 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 And this is my pinky's numb. Is that why? Okay. (laughs) I feel like this is such an important and integral part and root of how both of you have been able to manifest so much together. Can you actually share with us some kind of ways that you together have maintained that special energy over time? One of the things that I go over with Michael when he comes to me with a problem or a situation, I take a a step back and, you know, let's talk about why we are doing this Mm -hmm. and is it the right thing to do? Is that why we're here? And usually, at least as far as the LN4 project goes, the answer is yes, then let's keep on going. We have to find another way to do it. Let's talk about it. Maybe it's not this way. Maybe it's this way. We just have to keep pushing. One of the things you've said to me a number of times is the project is bigger than either of us. Yes. Hmm. We were in Vietnam, and we'd put a hand on a three-year-old girl earlier that day, 
and I woke up in the middle of the night and I was sweating profusely, which might have been from the anti-malaria medication, but I was also crying. And Janet said, what's wrong? I said, we put a hand on a three-year-old girl today, and we know the hand wears out. It lasts about three to five years, which is actually fantastic. And I said, who's going to put a hand on this little girl when she's 53 years old? Mm. And Janet said, because I said, it's not going to be me, you know, I mean, I'm going to be, you know, at that point, I'll be, you know, in my Mm -hmm. 90s, I'm probably not going to be doing it. And Janet said, well, let's think about that. You have been involved in writing business plans, you've been involved in businesses, you've been involved in helping people. Maybe you're supposed to write a business plan for this project that goes beyond your lifetime. Wow. That is so incredible. And I went, wow, that's exactly it. Wow. So you have a 100-year plan, I think. So we adopted a 100-year business plan about 10 years ago in the Prosthetic Hand Foundation. Wow. Okay, that (laughs) is super inspirational. (laughs) I'm just, like, getting goosebumps as I'm talking. It is so easy at those points to kind of – I know for me, if I'm in some kind of situation with a project that I'm working on, it can be difficult to think about a different perspective, with which to look at your situation and channel it into something larger, like what you both were able to do. Janet, how did you come up with that insight at the moment? Well, I knew Michael had experience writing business plans, like for a video store. And I remember my father pouring over it and saying, Michael, I'm so proud of you. It's like amazing. How did you learn all this stuff? Wow. So would you both say that throughout different elements of the journey, you were able to focus on the positives and leverage those positive attributes to move forward? The answer is yes, with a caveat. The positives were not necessarily where we were yet, Hmm. but it was the faith in knowing that what we were doing was eventually going to be positive. And so the setbacks today, you know, we think of those as not positive, but in fact, they are positive because they eliminate some means that is going to be wrong. So you're able to get past those and say, for example, and I want you to hear this story, our very first trip that I mentioned in 2005, where we took a half a dozen prototype prosthetic hands with us, we had total failure. Complete and total failure. We couldn't find recipients. When we found the recipients, we couldn't figure out how to put the hand on them properly because they weren't the right configuration of amputee. The hands were the wrong color, so people didn't want them. They didn't function properly. The springs weren't the right strength. The digits didn't move the right way. It didn't strap onto the arm properly. So it was a total setback as far as that was concerned. But on the way back, we're on the airplane and we're thinking, can't speak for Janet, but I'm thinking, (laughs) I'm thinking this didn't go well at all. And Janet's going, this is still the right thing to do. I mean, we still have to do this. So we came back and we put a bunch of changes together. And six months later, we went to Kenya and Uganda and sent a team to Tanzania. And every single person we put a hand on six months later was still using the hand at that point. So we knew the changes that we made were the right ones. Wow. wow, Priya, I feel like there's a second inspired action that I am gathering from this. And maybe you can help me formulate <laughs> this a little further. <laughs> what I'm hearing is that what we can take away from all of this is that In the moment of despair or fear, our ability to focus on the lesson that we're here to learn in that moment that could potentially expand our mind further and fostering this trust that learning the lesson, expanding our mind, that it will work out and having faith in that. 
And Amy, there have been a hundred of those in the 13 years that we've been doing this project. Can you tell us about another one? (laughs) (laughs) These are great examples. You want a grand one or you want a medium one? Oh, my gosh. A grand one. I I like a grand one. Okay, a grand one. Okay, we'll do a grand one. So we call this the miracle in Nairobi. And on our second trip, when we were in Nairobi, we were still having a problem with the way that the hands strapped onto the residual limb, which is the polite terminology used for the portion of a person's limb that remains after an amputation. And we had a team of about eight of us there from the U.S., maybe six, and we had about 50 people in line who were standing there missing a hand. And we had another half a dozen or so people that were part of this facility where we were putting the hands on. We were putting the hands on underneath a metal awning in the middle of Nairobi. The weather was sort of, I think it was drizzling a little bit. So, you know, we we weren't indoors in in a cushy place doing this. And we had total failure still. We could not get the hands to work properly. I told everyone, we're going to stop right now. We're going to stop for just a moment. I went back to the hotel room, and Janet had an armband that she would use for running. It was just a little elastic armband that you could put a, you know, some money in and a key or something and keep on your arm. Mm, how fashion forward. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> and I went back to the hotel room. And this is a very faith-driven experience for me, okay, so for both of us. And I went down on my knees, and I cried, and I prayed. And I said, we are here, and we have people that are expecting a hand, and we have people who have traveled here. What do I need to do to make this work? So I kind of regained my composure. I grabbed the armband. I went back to the facility. I grabbed several people and went into one of the offices with and a couple of people that were from the facility. And I said, I'm not opening this door. Of course, I had a smile on my face. I wasn't really holding anybody hostage. (laughs) I said, we need to redesign the armband right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And we redesigned the armband for the hands that we had brought. In another little sort of moment of my questionable faith, (laughs) I said, oh, great. So now we have a design. How are we going to get the supplies and put these together? And the director of the facility said, well, why don't you follow me over here for a moment? And he took me over to this locker that was about six feet high and four feet wide and listing and rusty. And he opened up the locker and inside the locker were a wooden mallet, an old saw, couple other things, and there were four boxes in that locker. One of those boxes contained brand new buckles that would be used in our new design. One of the boxes contained the hook and loop portions of the Velcro-type stitching that was needed for the armbands. And one of the boxes contained elastic straps that would be also part of our design. And one of the other boxes contained this half or three-quarter inch wide other strap that was rigid that didn't stretch that was also part of our design that we had just come up with. So all of these pieces were in this locker, brand new, ready to be put into the design of our hands. That is incredible. And I'm not done. (laughs) And I'm not done. What? And so my joke is, you know, like when Moses gets to the water and people are like, oh, great. Now, how are we going to cross the water? Right. You know, so I said, oh, great. We have a design. We have all these supplies. How are we going to put these together? (laughs) And the director of the facility says to me, he says, look around you. He says, we make seats for wheelchairs here. I'm just going to redirect all of my staff to make armbands wow. tonight for you. Wow. 
Wow. And the next morning we walked in and we have a pile of armbands that these two guys stayed up, commercial seamstresses with commercial sewing machines, and made all these new armbands for us. And that's the design we still use today. That is so incredible. That is grand, like you said. And you said you call it the Miracle in Nairobi? We call it the Miracle in Nairobi. Amy, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Because I feel like this has everything to do with some of these principles from the law of attraction and whatnot that we have been implementing in our own lives, where if we begin to switch our intentions and to focus on what we can do and have faith that it can happen, then things start to manifest to make Yes, you're so right. And Michael, when you were describing and illustrating that visual for me of you getting on your knees and just having that faith-based moment of prayer, I remember this vivid image and illustration that is still in my mind today from this book by Ram Das, which I had gifted to Priya as I was expanding my mind and consciousness about a year ago. And this page I don't even remember what it says on there, but all I saw was this big word that says faith. And it had a picture of two hands cradled together. And what Priya is saying is this idea of the trust frequency is understanding that when you are aligned with what you are here to do, your soul's purpose, and you are open to receiving answers and help from the universe, You don't even need to ask how things will happen for you. It will literally just be delivered to you in the moment's time, in the perfect timing for you, in the right way, in the right manner. So what you had described to us, this amazing story, is the true manifestation of all the things that we've been learning and practicing, in your words, in a much grander way. Well, we feel very humbled to be a part of this. Wow. I have tears forming in the back of my eyes. <laughs> this is so <laughs> And I can see Janet's beautiful smile as well. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Amy, to that point, one of the other things that has happened a number of times throughout this project is, like in the beginning, you know, we had half a dozen prototypes, and that didn't work, okay? And then, then we made a bunch of hands, and then we went, well, gosh, we need to make, like, you know, 500 hands, and how's that going to happen? And this rotary district that we were talking to, they said, well, we've got a bunch of extra money and we're going to fund you making the molds to make these hands. So we went, wow, that's incredible. So then we had a thousand hands and we're thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with a thousand hands? (laughs) And then about three months later, we got orders for like seven or 800 hands, right? And we went, wow, if we had only had 40 or 50, we wouldn't have been able to fill it. Six months later, we had like 3,000 hands and we're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with 3,000 hands? And then a month or two later, we get orders for, you know, like three quarters of that. And now at this point in time, we manufacture hands, 5,000 of them at a time. Wow. That is beyond my belief. What you're describing here is actually the flywheel effect from this one book in another episode of our podcast that we talked about where after a while, once momentum builds up, you're just on this high flying disc and things just kind of start to compound and happen for you, not happening to you, but it just happens for you effortlessly. And things happen for you faster than you can point in the direction in which you want it to happen for you at. So that is just such a great, great story. 
Like we said in the beginning, Amy, living and breathing examples of how this all works and how to manifest success and and service. And Michael, you were actually touching on something that I was about to ask you before you even went into describing this flywheel effect that you have manifested over time. Is this idea of being able to attract the capital and the abundance that's necessary for a project like this? Because in our lives and a lot of the conversations that Priya and I have with friends who wants to kind of switch their mindset and even their lives to focus more in the service paradigm. They come up to this wall, potentially this imaginary wall, where they're like, okay, I don't understand how I would be able to make money off of this, especially in this capitalistic society where everything is for profit. If you can just expand a little bit about how that has happened for LN4 over time, that would be great. I mean, this is another one of those grand stories. <laughs> yes, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Through a series of Rotary connections, actually, also. So, you know, maybe Rotary is part of the theme here, Priya. <laughs> <laughs> Through a series of these connections in Rotary, we were introduced to this organization up in Chico called Odyssey Teams. And Odyssey Teams had a project where they would go into a community and they would have corporate executives build bicycles, for economically disadvantaged children in that area. And Odyssey would reach out to social services and human services in that community, and they would find 40, 50, 80, 100 kids who needed a bicycle. And they would not tell the corporation that they had found those kids until after they did these team-building events. So the corporate executives would get together in this room, and they would build these bicycles. And at the end of building the bicycles, they would ask the executives, so how did that go, right? Did you have any parts left over? Yeah, well, you know, we have the screw right here. We weren't quite sure where it went. Okay, so how would you do things differently if you knew that the recipient of the bicycle you just built was standing right outside the door? And the executives would say, Well, yeah, you know, I'd probably make sure that I found a place for that screw or whatever. And then they would open the doors and for every bicycle assembled, there would be a child there waiting for that bicycle. They would bring the children over to the team that built the bicycle and they would meet them. And those people would work frantically to find out where that screw went, of course. But then they'd bring in a quality person who would make sure that before the bicycles released, they they got through. So this company, Odyssey Teams, they had all these companies that they had built these bicycles for. And these companies were saying, well, we kind of want you to do another team building event, but what else can we do besides bicycles? Mm -hmm. And this company said, well, how would you like to build a prosthetic hand? And so they are our corporate partner, and they have funded our organization, not entirely, but I'm going to say 90% for the last five or six years. Wow. We have literally manufactured about 50,000 hands. We try to keep about 10,000 in inventory at any given time because our orders are oftentimes in the increments of 1,000 to a couple thousand at a time. And all of those hands have been assembled through corporate development events through this corporate partnership that we have, Odyssey. Wow. We just don't ask for money. We don't have ever have to ask anybody for money. If we had an order for 100,000 hands, we'd need money. But right now, the, what we have is completely fulfilled by our corporate partnership. And at the rate you're going, if you need 100,000 hands tomorrow, the universe will make it happen for you. <laughs> I've got, I've got, 
We have a saying in our organization that doors slam open. Can you tell us more about that? So doors slam open. In fact, Priya, you know, it would be just like you and I meeting in Rotary, right? Yeah. And then, you know, we, we must have had some kind words or whatever, and you were inspired, and I enjoyed meeting you. And then we don't see each other for, what, you know, a year, two, three? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you and Amy are at this other event, <laughs> and we start talking. And the next thing you know, Janet and I are on a podcast with your audience listening to us. It's a door slamming open. That's exactly what it's what it is. It's door slamming open. I feel like that's like every an time we need action. something. That itself is our third inspired it action. It has to be. <laughs> it has to be. By the way, Michael and Janet, I just love how you guys coined these terms in a way that brings meaning to you and emotional connection for you, because this has just been such an amazing conversation just from learning these new terms that you have kind of fostered along the way in your own journey. So it's so special. Amy, we are so blessed to have this part of our lives. And we are crystal clear as to what we're supposed to be doing, at least right now. Maybe there's something else for down the road. But, you know, the fact that we don't have children. In fact, so we have a lot of nephews and nieces. And they tell us, well, when you guys go to other countries, you should just introduce yourselves as Aunt Janet. (laughs) (laughs) You basically are. So we have lots of nephews and nieces out there. I love this third inspired action because I think it's just yet another example of how easy it is in moments of difficulty to just think about things as closed doors. And if we just rewire and reframe that one concept in our minds and change it to doors slam open, that immediately opens up countless possibilities for us to manifest the things we're trying to do. My visual of it is that someone hearing, you know, about the project and they just can't open the door and come through it and be part of the project fast enough. It's like you, even Priya and Amy, you know, just, you know, you guys saw us again, you went, we gotta do. We gotta do the next step with this, right? But I have to tell you, I visualize double doors. So oh, oh. I've been understating it. I've only been thinking about one door. Oh, I think double doors. That's why. That's why Michael Janet has all the answers. Yeah. Double door slamming open. I'm writing that down. There you go. <laughs> When Amy and I were driving back after we met both of you, we were just so inspired yet again. Yet again, I initially joined Rotary because I was inspired by Michael and Janet. And yet again, upon meeting them, we were like, oh, man, you know, they're so great. They've done so much. And we can tell how just humble and everything is super clear about you and around you. And you're right. We just were like, okay, we have to invite them as guests. They're perfect. Yes. And I just want to also recap, it sounds like abundance of money and capital can come in all different shapes or forms. In your case, the corporate partnership, it funded 90% of what you guys have done. And a lot of the times, that's not really how the corporate American world would view as a way to get funding for. That's fascinating. Amy, you're absolutely right. I I feel I have a sort of an entrepreneurial spirit anyway. And one of the things that I've told our board and people many times is I can hardly wait for the moment where we completely run out of money because we've put on hands for all the money that we have because then I've really got a story to tell. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, bring me that moment anytime you want. I'm ready to go to the next level. (laughs) 
This is so inspirational, and that's exactly why you have a hundred-year plan because it could just go on forever. It sounds like, <laughs> right, right. And who knows? Maybe somebody in the audience will help take it to the next level. I'm counting on it. <laughs> we hope so. We hope so. Well, fantastic. Before we recap our inspired actions, is there anything else both of you would like to share about yourselves or Ellen Ford? I want to tell the story about Moses. Oh, sure, yeah. Great. Yes, another story. So we were in Uganda, and there was a man in there who had come as part of a church group, and he was missing a hand, and he was the pastor of this group, and they were from an area called Gulu, Uganda, which was a very war-torn area. And all of the people on this bus, maybe 20 of them, were missing a hand, and they came hours to get a new hand on this bus. And they got there, and Moses would not allow us to put a hand on him until everyone in his congregation had received a hand first. So finally, it was Moses' turn. And I didn't actually know this person's name, but he was this big, beautiful black man with this really robust voice and this huge (laughs) smile. And Janet was taking registration. And Janet says to me, Michael, Moses is here. And Janet says, Michael, Moses is here. And I said, wow, we've seen so many miracles. It doesn't actually completely surprise me, you know. And we put a hand on Moses. And he had already seen so many other people, you know, get a hand. He already kind of knew how to use it. So he put a pencil or ink pen in his hand, in his prosthetic hand. And he wrote down some words. And he said, this is Arabic. And we said, Okay. And he wrote down some more words and he said, This is Lugandan, the language we speak in Uganda. And I said, Okay. And he wrote down some other words and he said, This is English. And he took the prosthetic hand with the pen in it and he raised it up and he said, This hand is so smart, it writes in all kinds of languages. That reminds me. We loved it. That reminds me, Michael, that you mentioned something before we started recording that I wanted to touch on. And I had completely forgotten. And the story about Moses, it's so cool to see in these situations and in these different places kind of people using these moments also kind of like a way to spread humor and fun and joy. And you had mentioned before that if you wouldn't mind retelling the story about the kids who were flipping pens with their new hands and what that has to do with play. And Priya, actually, these were adults. Oh, <laughs> even better. Which, which, which I apologize for correcting oh. you, but it does make it even more it significant. Sounds like they have so ch- right. child and youthful yeah. energy. <laughs> That's exactly right. So what Priya is referring to is the hand holds an ink pen or holds a washcloth or a rag or things like that. It doesn't reach out and grab something, but it holds things. And it's very functional. But one of the things that you can do is you can kind of turn the hand upside down and you can compress the digits that move. There are two digits that move. You can compress them down and then you release them all at once. So they sort of flip open or flick open. And so one day we had put on a bunch of hands on people somewhere, I don't remember where, Actually, I think it might have been India. There was this group of people, adults, (laughs) who were sitting at this table, and they were laughing so hard. They were just cracking up. And we were looking over, and we were seeing stuff like flying through the air and dropping. And and what they were doing was they had learned how to put a pencil or a pen on the hand in a certain way so that they could 
press the release button and it would flick the pen all the way across the table. And they were all just cracking up, having a blast doing it. (laughs) And it occurred to us that we've been thinking about the hand as a useful tool for work or for day-to-day activities. It didn't even occur to us how important it is for us to be able to play and laugh and have fun. Oh, my goodness. As you were telling that story, Michael, I just couldn't help to just reflect on the lesson there as well. Because just like, you know, in the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about Ernie and how he took a moment of grief and kind of switched that energy with the power of creation to bring about joy in the world and or like make the world a better place. And this is also another moment of that, just seeing how people have gone through something traumatic where their hands are amputated. And at the moment that they get something new to use, they are actually enjoying themselves so much more. And they're turning all of that into happiness and joy and fun and play. It's just so amazing to hear these stories, the contrast between grief and joy and how we can really transmute that energy over time. And even in this case, in an instant. You know, there's one other thing I want to share that's really important. And I remind the board of this all the time, that we are under the illusion that all we're about is putting prosthetic hands on people. Mm. And some years ago, we did this calculation where we said, well, How many people have we told this story to? How many times have we done public speaking? How many people who have been involved in these corporate training events? How many people are involved in these with the vendors that make the components for these hands? How many people are involved in the shipping and the receiving and the putting them on? And then all of those people's family members that they tell about this. At one point, we said, we think for every hand we've put on, about a thousand other people's lives have been touched. Wow. And so that really is the master plan. I don't even know what to say to that because that is just such a great closing line to everything that's been happening here in the last, I don't know, hour. I, I don't even know what time it is anymore. It's so great. Oh, thank you so much, Michael and Janet. We've really enjoyed having you here on our podcast. You and made it a lot of fun. Thank you. It was so much fun, and I know our audience is going to have a blast listening to this episode and also take away some very, very, very powerful advice and tips and inspired actions that they can kind of implement in their own lives. Can we invite people to take a look at the website for the prosthetic hand? Oh, yes, please please do do that. (laughs) Just go to ln-4.org, ln-4.org. And if you only have three minutes, just watch the short little video on the homepage. And it makes me cry every time I see it. Aww. It's it's so moving. Yeah, you, you can't help but cry. Oh, and you have an ambassador program as well. What is that? So the ambassadors are the people who take the hands and who also receive the hands. Mm. Not not the recipients, but the people who are hands are most often shipped from here from the U.S., but we do ship some from Australia and some now actually from Germany. And so the people who take those hands or are involved in the shipping, those are our ambassadors. And then on the receiving end, the people who pick up the hands and then are involved with putting them on the recipients, those are our ambassadors on the receiving end. 
Got it. So to those listening, if you have any ideas or resources, or if you would like yourself to be an ambassador for LN4, definitely take a look at the website. Get in touch with Michael and Janet that way. And Michael and Janet, on that note, if there's anyone listening right now to the show that, you know, is from corporate or has a large company who would like to build these prosthetic hands for you guys, is that something that you guys are still open to receiving more of? Absolutely. And they should do that, though, through our corporate partner. They have the infrastructure to make that happen. And that's Odyssey Teams out of Chico, California. Got it. Thank you for that information. Super helpful. Awesome. And if you have any other questions about LN4, also feel free to reach out to Amy and Priya to us and we can connect you to Michael and Janet. Seems like we should be calling the two of you ambassadors. (laughs) (laughs) It would be fitting given the name of the podcast. (laughs) We love how full circle this has become. Amy, would you mind recapping the inspired action? Yes. I actually jot down like six or seven for myself, but I will recap the three that we have mentioned on the show so far. So the first one is harnessing the power of creation in the moment of grief and channeling that energy into something that can be used for uplifting others in Ernie's example, which is the origins of how LN4 was created. And then the second one is in your moment of despair and fear, focus on the lesson that is here in front of you and hoping that lesson can help expand our minds and create that trust frequency and faith that all things will work out. So that's the second one. And then the last one is this concept of double doors slamming open. And I want I would love to incorporate <laughs> something else that slam open. Janet had said yes. earlier in the show that Michael alluded to, which is when you are doing something bigger than yourself, double doors slam open. I think that just really aligns with how if you are in alignment with your purpose, you're doing something for the greater good in the service paradigm, you don't ever have to worry that things will not work out if you have faith. The capital, the resources, the opportunities, they all manifest themselves right in front of you. Those double doors will slam open. open. (laughs) I love it. And the bonus action, I think, don't forget to play and have fun. In the end, that's what a lot of this (laughs) is about. I have another bonus one too. And is this concept (laughs) that nothing happens by accident, that everything is happening for a reason. And as Michael has shared earlier, everything in our lives that we have been doing is preparing us for something much greater than ourselves. And to have faith in that. Beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. So we're going to take a few moments here to just let those lessons and inspired actions sink in. Amazing. That was such an incredible podcast. Thank you so much again, Michael and Janet, for being here and sharing your energy and presence with us. I felt so many emotions in the last hour. I can't even put it into words. So thank you so much. And we're so grateful. 
We are so grateful going back to your intention at the beginning. Thank you both so much as well. <laughs> Thanks for inviting us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into episode seven of Ambassadors of Joy. Let's spread the joy. Please share this podcast with the people in your life. Check out the website, ambassadorsofjoy.love. Check out ln-4.org. If you have any books or guests you'd recommend that we cover, drop us a line and we'll see you next time. <laughs>